0: Let's look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, you truly are just absolutely matchless. Um, there is no one, there is no thing that we can compare to you. And it is the reason why we serve you, we bow before you, and we place our confidence in you. We have sung about the name of Christ, this morning, we've sung about your name, and as we have done that, uh, Father, maybe there's someone here who does not know exactly what that name means, what it represents. And so I pray, Father, that you'll just work in lives today, help them to understand the good news of Jesus, um, the saving power of Christ, uh, not some incantation, not some... uh, magical something or other, but, but truly a pardon for our sins based upon our faith and what Christ has done. Um, he takes our punishment. And so we thank you, Lord, for um, giving us the gift of Christ. And again, if someone here does not know exactly what that means, that you would just work in their life today, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about grief in the believer. And I've mentioned this before, but as we approach the, the topic of, of Job, you know, some of the things we're going to be talking about are, are hard. Um, but some of the times that some of us have faced recently, or maybe even will possibly face, are hard. And so that's part of the reason why we are going through this. And as we consider just um, uh, where we have been already, In our reviews, the last couple of weeks we've invested some of our time trying to make sure that everyone is up to speed on the person of Job and the events concerning him in these first two chapters. Um, We can't do that again this week, but we're going to try to get you up to speed on last week at least. And last week we considered Job's responses to Satan's two attacks. Job responded to Satan's first wave of attack with This response in Job 1, verses 20 to 22, it says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. That first part is in relation to the fact that he um, was overwhelmed with what had happened to him. But he did not fall to the ground overwhelmed in sorrow. He fell to the ground, the scripture tells us very clearly, in worship. And it said, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then this very important comment, this very important description of him. In all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Then there was a second wave. This wave had to do with the attacks against all that he had. The second wave was in relation to who he was. Satan actually attacked his health. And we see again a similar response in Job 2, verses 8 to 10. Now, there was a a little bit of an exchange with his wife, which we have talked about before, but I want you to see the context. He took for himself a potsherd with which, it's a piece of pottery, to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity, Curse God and die, but he said to her, "You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity?" Sounding very similar to what he had said in the previous, uh, after the previous attack. And then what does it say again? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Last week we touched on Job's grief briefly. Today we're going to work through Job's grief over what he suffered. And consider what it means to us. We need to keep in mind that Job has what Job has experienced is one of the central themes of the book, and so we won't just uh, go past his suffering uh, after we're done today. But we're not going to treat it necessarily as such as we're doing today. So the first point as we look at uh, what was going on with Job, Job expressed his grief. There's several things that we're going to be looking at as we go through here. But as he expresses his grief, we see in the first 10 verses of Job chapter 3 that he cursed the day of his birth. And I'm going to read that for you. Job chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said, A male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it, who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark and may it look for light but have none and not see the dawning of the day because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Job desired that um, this day would both be cursed and forgotten, dark and empty, That no light shines on it or there be any uh, joy, sound of joy in it. He wanted his birthday to be torn from the calendar and from time itself. This expresses his deep, terrible grief that he was experiencing. And I don't think that any of us would certainly begrudge Job, right, of, of the emotions that were going on in his heart uh, he had just lost so much and suffered so much but then we see as he progresses in verses 11 through 19 and let me read those for you it says why did I not die at birth why did I not perish when i came from the womb why did the knees receive me or why did the breasts that i should nurse for now i would have lain still and been quiet i would have been asleep then i would have been at rest With kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold or filled their house with silver? Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master." I had mentioned before, we're not going to necessarily go through every word uh, in these descriptions. There's just a lot here. But what is he overall saying here? He regretted that he was ever born. First, he's like, you know, may the day of my birth be cursed. Now, why did I even come into the world? In his terrible distre- distress, Job doesn't just desire for everything to end. He wishes he had never had a beginning. He then goes from wishing he had never been born to including that if he had come into the world, it would have been better if he would have been born lifeless. Now, folks, I understand that this is a hard topic because some of you as parents have possibly experienced this. But it shows you the depth of his suffering, the depths of his grief. Job considered death to bring rest and an end to earthly troubles. That's really what he's talking about here. He gave examples of death-freeing victims from the wicked and their oppressors, or giving relief to slaves from their masters. And so that's what he was just wanting. He just wanted things to be over. He wanted relief, and he could find none. Which brings us to the fact that he desired relief through death. The last several verses of this passage say, Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul? How long for death, who, who long for death, but it does not come? And search for it more than hidden treasures. I mean, think about that for a moment, right? Let that sink in. I, I would rather have death than treasure. Well, this was a rich man. He knew what that meant. And he goes on. Who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, I have no rest, for trouble comes. We see that Job longs for death, he wants his life to end. Here is where Job gives details about what he is feeling. Can you sense both the pain and the hopelessness that he's feeling right now? Notice that he mentions in verse 23 about being hedged in. This is the same exact language that Satan used of God's protection. And now what's he saying? He's saying, I'm boxed in. I have no way out. I have no escape. Job's perspective in his suffering is that he is a person who has somehow lost his way and now he has been trapped by God with no hope, no way out. What I want us to do then is consider, and again, this is going to be a little bit of review, but as, as he's pouring his heart out and as he's talking about, Man, if, if, if I just would have never been born, that would have been great. Or if I, if I just would have been born, if I had to come into the world, if I could have come in lifeless, that'd be better than what I experienced. Now contrast that to the fact that Job had an exceptional life prior to all this taking place. I mean, this is how heart-wrenching his present state is. So let's consider what causes, the causes of Job's grief. We're going to go through these fairly quickly, but I just want us to to have these in our minds as we're thinking about his grief, and even when it comes to the believer and how we experience grief. Job is grieving over loss of possessions. We're not talking about, I can't find my wallet, okay? We're talking about everything that he had, including his food, all right? Everything. He's grieving over the loss of loved ones. Uh, We could even say relationships. I mean, there were servants that I'm sure that he had a relationship with that were also uh, taken in in, uh, Satan's attacks. Job is grieving over debilitating illness. We talked about that recently, about how he had these sores from head to toe. Um, He had a a burning fever. He He was suffering through this. His skin was discolored and peeling and... He was constantly in pain. There was no relief. Job is grieving over personal injury. Um, This this was personal. And it hurt deeply. And Job is grieving over not knowing why. Let's think about this for a minute. We all would like to know why something happened, right? Most, if not all of us, have unanswered whys in our lives. Why did God allow this or that to happen? Why did it happen the way that it happened? Or why did it happen at all? What was the reason or the purpose for it taking place? Think about just how Uh, maximized that would have been in Job's life with all that he experienced. Now, again, I'm going to continue to, to take great care in saying we can't compare our lives to Job and say, ah, you know, what I'm experiencing is nothing. That is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a man who went through some extremes for a purpose. And we'll get to those and we'll see even how that plays out through the entire book. But because maybe we haven't experienced what Job experienced or what somebody else experienced, doesn't mean that it is not a valid struggle, a valid trial. All right? And again, we'll fill that out a little bit more later. But Another cause of Job's grief is he's grieving over loneliness. Like I mentioned before, he lost most of his household. There were only a few servants that were spared Later in, in Job, later in the book, it says that his servants did not attend to him. I think it was because of his condition. We know that his wife just couldn't cope with the situation. And, and she was not a help to him. And some of the worst times we have ever experienced, if we had someone, we went through the situation with us. Didn't that make all the difference in the world? I doubt that most of us have gone through something tremendous or horrific in our lives, and not have at least one person going through it with us. But even even if we haven't, again, just the magnitude of what Job went through, and then having to deal with that, really, with 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 nobody else. Now we know in context, his friends have arrived. We'll talk about them next week, and they're just sitting. And we'll talk about that next week. But as he speaks, right, and as we see what he experienced, some time went by, and there was just nobody with him. Job is also grieving over realized fear. Now, I want to park on this for just a little while, because um, we have fears of our own, don't we? Job's whole life was going extremely well, in every area of his life, yet he still had nagging fears that something bad would happen. I think we do the same thing, don't we? We think to ourselves, ah, you know, things are going well, what's going what's, you know, to go wrong, right? So let me just throw some things out to you that are are fairly empirical. In other words, they're fairly factual. I'm sure that there's a little variation here, but some studies have been done that reveal how many of our fears actually come to pass. What percentage of what we worry about actually happens? The percentage of our concerns, our worries, our fears that do not come to pass within 30 days. In other words, I have a worry and 30 days pass... 91% of them never take place. Okay? Another longer-term study concluded that 85% of our fears never, ever happen. So 15% of what we worry about comes to pass. Now, of that 15%, those who participated in this, of that 15%, 79% said that either they handled the difficulty better than they expected, or they learned a valuable lesson from it, or or maybe both. Now, there's no data on how accurate their fears were realized. In other words, as they feared, what was the severity? You know, if I think that, you know, 10 is going to happen, well, did it happen that it was an 8, a 5, a 3? You know, we don't know as far as its severity is concerned, okay? But as we think about this, How often was it as bad as we expected, or how bad did it actually turn out? All of this means that 97% of the time, our concerns are either completely unnecessary, or either the severity or the consequences were exaggerated. Said another way, 3% of everything that we fear will take place and happen, possibly as much as we expected. 3%. Now, that 3% can be significant. But the point is that we do a lot of worrying. We are concerned about a lot of things. We need to acknowledge, for example, Job's fears were realized. God brought something into his life that was, and allowed it, that was very terrible. As a matter of fact, we can probably say, that what Job feared, the results were worse than what he ever imagined. But God didn't make sure that Job's circumstances were written to justify being fearful. It shows us just how extreme Job's situation was. His experience, again, was exceptional. So we got to be careful about this area of fear. It's not necessarily a good thing that Job was fearful, but he had some concerns, some things that nagged at him that actually were realized. Ultimately, what it comes down to is how do we handle it, right? So we see then that Job's grief is as broad as it is deep. Every area of life has been affected by tragedy and loss. This list represents the bulk of what Job experienced. And I primarily went through those things to fill in the picture for us so that we can relate to this. Have you experienced any of what Job experienced? Again, the severity doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't experienced a difficult time. But have you, have you lost a loved one? Have you, have you had personal injury? Have you gone through something and been lonely these different things that we see here and of course there are a myriad of other things that we could talk about but this is how uh, Satan attacked Job so as we consider Job's suffering and acknowledge it and the grief that he had as a result I want to talk about suffering in the child of God Now, we need to understand something. This is not the same as suffering because of the consequences of sin. If we do something that God tells us is going to have a a consequence to it, meaning a negative outcome, right, of disobeying Him, of doing something that that is not pleasing to Him, and, and, and in turn something bad happens, we're not suffering, right, for our faith. At the same time, when we do suffer, it's not necessarily that God is punishing us. And unfortunately, there are times when we reverse those two things and then we don't get the message that God is trying to send us. So we've got to be careful of that. But suffering is expected in the believer's life. As we think of James, he tells us in uh chapter one, verses two through four. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience, and that's endurance, have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So there is obviously a purpose there, but we're not going to deal with that today. But the point is, it's going to happen when you, when it takes place. In Mark chapter 4 is a very important thing here because suffering will reveal saving faith or a lack of saving faith. This, this uh, comes down to the, the, the parable of the, of, the, um, of the soils. And two of those soils, it says this in Mark 14. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, and, and that, that sown seed was the picture of the word of God, immediately receive with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward look at this when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately they stumble in other words they're out they pull the parachute cord this is hard i'm not i'm not doing this anymore right so there's no real substance to what they first kind of attested to. Then it goes on. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. In other words, there is no real effect. Fruit is the evidence of faith. And if there's no real fruit from faith, then there's no real effect faith and that's simply what it's saying here but what's the cause the cause is all these things that are happening around me the things that are happening to me very similar things than what how satan attacked job and what was satan's goal satan's goal was if i do this he's going to curse you that's right. and in essence that's what these people are doing something happens and they turn their backs It is a false gospel that alters the message of salvation from repentance and forgiveness for sin to feeling happy, to being loved by God just for love's sake, and experiencing a better life or solving one's problems. That is a false gospel, if that's all it's about. Therefore, listen very carefully, it is also a false sanctification. A false growth process to teach the same thing about the purpose for living for Christ. In other words, the Christian life is always rosy, right? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this, And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it, that's the genuineness of your faith, is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What we can learn from Job to this point is that not all times of suffering are specifically from the hand of God to grow us. I know that's hard to hear because we think, well, wait a minute. That's got to be the purpose. I'm not saying it can't take place. But Job's need for spiritual growth was never brought up. It was God saying, he will not deny me. And it was a testing of his faith. A testing of a man who was blameless, God said. And just like Job's the thing we suffer will probably produce grief. We even see it here in this passage. Grief, sorrow, anguish, heartache, despair, whatever word best describes our difficult circumstances, it's real. It's real. Our experiences, however, will not all be the same. Suffering can be shorter and intense in their in our experiences. It can be several individual things that build up over time. Suffering can also be a lifetime experience. Or at least a long time experience. Therefore, we need to take great care and sensitivity in how we approach someone in their time of distress. We can't use our measure for them. But all of these experiences become a part of us until heaven. Isn't that right? We can have a clear understanding of what salvation is, but still stumble when it comes to the purpose of the Christian life. We love Christ because he loved us. And if we love Christ, we will do what he tells us to do. We will obey him. If suffering is expected, then grief, sorrow, or heartache the results of suffering are also expected. They come along with it. And then we think to ourselves, yeah, but you know, it sounds negative. It sounds like something bad is happening to us. Well, let's think about this. What about Christ? Jesus foretold His suffering several times. We see in Matthew 16, we're not going to look at all of them. We see in Matthew 16, 21, for that, that time Jesus began from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. His suffering was also foretold through prophecy, Isaiah 53, 3 and 4. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we did not esteem him; we didn't respect him; we didn't consider him. Surely he was he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We have the example of Paul's life after his conversion. He shares about it multiple times throughout the New Testament. What I want us to do for just a few moments is look at some other uh, others that and some of these are Old Testament folks, but others that we would call believers followers of the Lord and and, and what happened with them. Um, When we think of Moses, Moses reacts after Israel complained again and again and again. It just became too much for him. Go back to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 10. Now, we need to understand, I'm not saying that all of this is necessarily justified in what we see here, but we're looking at the emotions of what people are going through. Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. Now, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. And so Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? Well, Okay, so Moses is now directing his attention to to God, right? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? <laughs> that's, that's a, is, you have to admit, that's a good line, right? So anyway, he goes on. <laughs> Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom, and as a garden carry, as, a, as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over over me saying give us meat that we may eat now by the way I, I should have said this is when they were starting to get tired of the manna alright and they're demanding meat and so Moses is just beside himself and then it goes on by the way were they supplied by God yes okay alright so then it goes on verse 14 I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me if you treat me like this please kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. He sounds a little bit like Job here, doesn't he? All right. We also have the example of David who shares many times from his heart. But in Psalm 55 verses 1 through 5, it says this. Sorry about that. I missed it. Uh, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Seriously, folks, have you ever had a day that feels like this? Elijah, after the Lord used him to defeat the prophets of Baal, we see in 1st Kings 19, you'll find that page on page 316 of your Pew Bible, 1st Kings 19 in verses 1 through 4. 1st Kings 19 verses 1 through 4 and it says this. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done that was when he defeated, right uh, the, the prophets of Baal, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. These were uh, Jezebel's prophets, by the way, false prophets. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, "So let the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one to them by tomorrow about this time." In other words, you got 24 hours. She was the queen. And when he saw that, he arose and ran before his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. If you turn with me to to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah speaks from his heart as he continues to tell God's wayward people what is coming, but they won't listen. All right? This is a prophet continuously telling his people, judgment is going to come. You're not obeying. You're not listening. In Jeremiah 20, we'll begin in verse 7 some of your Bibles, you'll see this is constructed a little bit differently because it's, it's this prayer that he speaks to the Lord about. Jeremiah 20, verse, one, verse 7. O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and I prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made, made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they said, and we will report it. In other words, he's mocking them. You know, give us the news, right, and we'll tell. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps... He can be induced. Then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let, you see, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Uh, This is not something that we're telling you to do, okay? But I'm just saying, this has come from him. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Look at how he's going back and forth, right? Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, a male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let the man... Be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. and Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon because he did not kill me from the womb that my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame? Boy, these are great comforting words, aren't they? (laughs) Folks, here's the point. Some people who served God in some of the most key, important areas of life, boy, they really took some difficult experiences along with it. But they weren't these stoic robots. Life affected them. It hurt. It was personal to them. And we need to understand that that can take place. That probably will take place if we are going to be a faithful follower of Christ. To what degree? Maybe not as Jeremiah. Maybe not as Job. But we see one thing. There came a point where, man, they were just like, can I just be done with life? Can I check out? Please take it away. Folks, I just got to say it. You may have been there at one point. You're not alone as far as the experience is concerned. But unlike how Job was feeling at the time, Jeremiah says that he was not alone while he was experiencing it. And by the way, David said the same thing. Most of these things are pleased to God. Right? The difference with Job is that he, he just didn't see where God was in all of this. The theme of Peter's first letter is enduring through suffering. Here are a couple of excerpts from his letter. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And then we see 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, this is not unique to any individual. It happens to people. I want to look now at what I hope will be an encouragement to you, because one of the things that we read through some of these verses is that we are enjoining in the suffering of Christ when we suffer for his name, when we suffer for righteousness, okay? And again, there's many, many other things we could look at, we could bring into, we have to limit ourselves, but I just want us to see Job is a picture of Christ. I didn't say Job was Jesus. But he's a picture. We can see some elements of Christ being foretold through him. And I want us to go through those things. First, Job was accused of wrongdoing, wasn't he? Satan himself said, Yeah, his faith isn't for real. You just let me get at him. By the way, we'll see later on that his friends accused him of wrongdoing. Jesus was accused of wrongdoing multiple times he, his actions were attributed to Satan himself you remember that? they didn't believe his words they didn't believe his works Job was attacked by Satan we know that Jesus was attacked by Satan as well Job lost everything Christ left everything. Job was a righteous man. God the Son was sinless. Even as the God-man, when we don't fully understand that he took on human quality, he was 100% God, 100% man, a unique individual in all of time, but never sinned. Job suffered physically. We saw that. Jesus suffered physically, horrifically. Job was alone. Christ actually died alone. Do you remember? When sin was placed on Christ, his father could not look. Job was a man of grief. We saw in Isaiah that Christ was a man of grief. Job's treatment was undeserved. Jesus did nothing to receive what he got. Right? There was no fault that someone could find in him that he deserved what he was given. He didn't sin. He took our sin upon himself. But Job glorified God. God. And we are told that obviously Christ did as well. He glorified the Father in all that he did. That was his purpose for being on this earth. Now we think the purpose was salvation. Salvation was simply a part of glorifying God. But he came to do the will of the Father. That's what he said he came to do. So where does this bring us today? What does all this mean for you and me? God will bring circumstances into our life that test us. Anyone who teaches that a true follower of Christ will not suffer or that suffering is an automatic sign of God's punishment or some lack of blessing, that is a false teacher. Plain and simple. Not only will we suffer from one degree to from one degree to another, our suffering has purpose. Our suffering has purpose. God tests our faith. That's what we saw in the scriptures today. In turn, if we respond properly, we glorify God. That is a significant purpose that we have in life. Our experiences are a testimony to nonbelievers around us. That is one of the purposes that I believe that God has for us. God often uses the trials we face to grow us in various ways. Now, notice I said often. I'm not saying that we can't grow. What I'm saying is, again, if we look at Job, it was simply to tell Satan, have you, have you thought about this guy? Have you, have you placed your attention? Have you, have you set your heart on him to, to, to test him? And we know that basically Satan said, I, I can't, you're protecting him. And so that's when God gave him permission. God gave him permission. He was trying to destroy Job. He was trying to cause Job to turn around and curse God. God's purpose in the whole thing was for Job to faithfully glorify him. We were also reminded that suffering can, uh, suffering as, as Christ suffered, is to bring joy. Because God is with us. Remember that? God' Spirit actually rests upon us when we're going through that. So we don't go through it alone, even if we feel that way. And we have an indescribable joy considering Christ's coming. Even when we experience some of the worst of times, What we and again, these are the worst of times in relation to our faithfulness to Him, we know and see what's coming. Now, folks, we're going to go over just a little bit today. It's just about noon here, but I, I just want to help us understand a couple of things that I've got to get across. We can have a lot of bad experiences in our lives, okay? And it's hard to try to explain that on a human level. Do all of them come from the hand of God specific for us to bring glory to him? Probably not. Probably not. Are all of them specific in relation to um, teaching us a lesson? Probably not. For example, there are times when bad people just do bad things. And they affect us. Okay? It doesn't mean that God isn't going to bring something out of it. I'm just talking about the, the, the full purpose behind it. All right? Because if that were the case, we would, like, always suffer. Right? Sorrow, grief, and heartache can accompany trials. Doesn't necessarily mean that they always. we always have to have a deep, terrible suffering when we're going through a trial or a test of some kind. Clearly, not all of God's tests in our lives involve extreme situations, which is what I was kind of referring to. If that were the case, then we would just be constant sufferers on earth. Okay, I, I happen to look at my life and say, yeah, I've had some hard times, but... Man, I've had some really enjoyable times too. Even Job, if you look at it, right? We know his beginning. We also know his ending. So it wasn't all bad. But testing can bring heartache. And heartache can be deep and it can be lasting. There is a difference between simply getting over it and trusting God through it. And again, that's where we need to be careful, both personally with ourselves and how we might consider other people. If someone is experiencing grief and is not quite on our, on our timetable, oh, they're, they're still bothered by that? What's their problem? That's an awful thing to think about. Now, at the same time, and again, just trying to balance things, we've got to be careful that we don't wallow in grief. Where this isn't just something that we experience too far and don't miss out on the trusting God through it part. But again, we're cautioned. Why? Because we see Job's experience. And again, we'll talk more about that in the future. So, I have mentioned to you that I'm looking at um, a commentary by a man named Christopher Ash, and I want to give you another one of his quotes to end our time today. Um, just a really powerful, he's just a really smart man, okay? I mean, but very down to earth. I think you'll appreciate this. A true Christian believer may be taken by God through times of deep and dark despair. This may happen to a man or a woman who is affirmed by God as a believer before the darkness who remains a believer in the darkness and who will finally be vindicated by God as a believer after the darkness. He or she may be taken through the darkness, even though he or she has not fallen into sin or backslidden from faith in Christ. This is a very important truth. And here's the problem, folks. We do this sometimes, right? when, someone, when something good happens to somebody, what do we say? Well, they must be living right. If something bad happens to somebody, we might say to ourselves, Ooh, what, what did they do to deserve that? Right? Now, again, if someone's sin is obvious and the punishment from God is obvious, that's obvious. But we can't read into somebody else's grief and say, mm, maybe they're getting what they deserve. That's wrong. Do I know why you have or will experience your experiences, your situations? No, I don't. You might be able to testify of that. But we can and should be assured that God not only knows, but it comes from him. He has a purpose in it. And ultimately, there will be vindication. We will come forth as gold, the scriptures tell us. Right? Actually, that might be a song, but it still works. (laughs) We will, as our refining takes place and we are finished with this life, we are going to be affirmed in Christ. It changes our perspective. It helps us understand that some of the things that we go through are for God's purposes. Folks, I could could stand up here and I could give you examples of what's happened in my life. And they're very personal and very raw to me. They may or may not be to you. That's okay. My point is this. I could give you examples. They would just be who I am and what I've experienced. They're no more or less valid than yours. But let's acknowledge the purposes. But I do want to give one brief personal testimony in all of this. I have had some experiences that have been, in my own heart, difficult to deal with. Years-long grief over certain things. And I will tell you that through this study, I, I, I wasn't, it wasn't why I was going through this, but through this study, particularly as I saw the grief of Job and then looked through the scriptures, it was, it was very healing. I was able to, and it's, it's still going to take some time, but I was able to release some things. Because I don't have the whys. I don't know why they happened. I don't know why the losses took place. But I felt the grief and the sorrow, the second guessing, the wondering. And what I have to understand is I don't need to know the why I need to know the who the who behind the hurt I mean literally and if I did what God wanted me to do that's enough that's enough Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in previous times we have acknowledged, I have acknowledged that everyone in here probably has some things that they have gone through and have been legitimate, genuine times of you testing their faith. Unless we are not your child, we we will experience it. Lord, there are also just simply difficult times that we have in our life. And, and those, too, are, are, are those experiences. And they may they not be, again, to, to fulfill specific purposes. But yet they are still there for a reason. And we still need to respond in the right way. So, Lord, I pray that you guide us. And I pray, Father, that there are, if there are those here who have just some of those Uh, very acute hurts those sorrows those griefs in their life that they've struggled not, not, not to necessarily get over but to deal with I pray Lord that they will remember who you are how you work and what your purposes are the specific whys may not come but we do know that everything and all things are for your glory. And Lord, may we take joy and may we be excited about the fact that if we have suffered as your son, that when you do come for us, there there is going to be something special about that. We don't know what all that entails. And even now, Lord, you're pleased with us. You dwell with us. You you are with us through these difficult times. Father, if we're truthful and we look back on our lives, we, we, we do really need to thank you. Because we can look back on some of our experiences and see what they meant to us. Even as that secular study said, you, you had purposes behind those. We, we learned, we grew our faith was tested and we passed father we thank you for those necessary encouraging times and we thank you for opportunities to bring glory to your name and it is in the glorious name of christ we pray amen